0: And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hey, what's up, you guys? Jeff Cohn here with another episode of the Team Building Podcast, where we interview top team leaders, broke owners, and thought leaders from across the country. Today, we have a very special guest hailing from the West Coast in L.A. County, Mr. Paul Morris. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Great to see you. I've had the pleasure of seeing you in person uh, a couple of times recently, which I really
0: enjoy. Hey, I appreciate that very much. Well, I can't say that it's beautiful outside here. I know you can say it's probably pretty beautiful outside there. Uh, came home from an event last night. We opened a new office in Kearney, Nebraska, and we were wow. driving home and it was zero degrees outside in my vehicle. Wow. Zero is really fun. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it was <laughs> mid-50s and I was like beyond. You had your big Parker oh, we're yeah. wearing the
0: big down feather coat. Totally, yeah. yeah. That must be horrible. Well, hey, Paul, um, you're a pretty fascinating person who's done a lot uh, for the real estate community and other communities. And I think it'd be great just to kind of help our guests know, um, some of your history, uh, your background as an attorney, and then also your role inside of a traditional brokerage, um, and the owner of multiple market centers or brokerages across your area. If you want to talk to some of that. Sure. Um, so
1: I, I went to, uh, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh uh, in a in a in a blue collar family, and you know where we were from. The only exit from that was education. So, uh, my dad was uh, high school educated uh, barely, and my mom went to college, which in her time was unusual. But we we had a lot of exposure. My dad ran a parking business and one of the primary uh, valet service. One of the primary uh, offices was, uh, medical, medical stuff. So huh. we're always seeing doctors come in and out. So that was sort of the pinnacle of, of what, you know, success was, uh, my brothers and sisters were strong in the sciences. So they all, you know, that was their, that was their ticket out. I, I likewise wanted to take it out. I, I feel like I was almost as smart as them, Um, but I did not have the ability to sit still, which uh which you and a bunch of the people on this who who (laughs) listen to this podcast will get. Um, and I sort of call it the frenetic brain. And um, you know, the frenetic brain has a lot of upside. There's a lot of entrepreneurial possibility, there's a lot, and there's a lot of downside too. One of them is it's tough to make it through school, but that's okay. That doesn't bother me and you, Jeff. But yeah, um, but as we look forward. Um, you know, I do still find that same challenge and really staying in my gift zone. One of the things that I always talk to my leaders, the managers and people that work, work with me and for me is what is your superpower? Um, figure out what your superpower is and then really, uh, you know, uh, focus in on that and find people, uh, or a team that you can be on that will allow you to be in your superpower range because you'll produce, you know, five times, 10 times more, and it will take less energy when you're in your uh, superpower. So, um, you know, I did sort of go through uh, Ivy League law school, in fact, um, and, and it was, it was, it was literally breaking rocks. It's hard for everybody, but I couldn't read. So that was a little added, uh, little added uh, issue. And, um, you know, and I hated it, but it was my view out of that you know, Blue Collar Pittsburgh thing, which I knew I didn't want, uh-huh. um, and then I found, uh, I found, uh, I started doing real estate investment, which I still do, um, and have 600 apartment units, uh, 150,000 square feet of commercial retail that I own. I just bought, just bought five new houses in Joshua Tree, uh, launching and creating a an Airbnb platform that we're shooting for a hundred, a uh, hundred uh, homes. To do Airbnb with, and I just got uh, entitlement on 995 homes um, in Tehachapi, California. Working with a small publicly traded company called Greenbrier, uh, you can find the stock ticker GEBRF, and uh, and you know super undervalued stock because uh, we just got you know third party reports showing that this land now that it's entitled is worth a fortune. So I hadn't really been in that entitlement game.
0: Uh, before but always help learn. our audience know what is entitlement. What does that mean? Okay. Right. So I think of entitlement, I think of my 13 year old daughter. Yeah. Well, well that's only the only reason why
1: you think of that is because you don't have an 18 year old daughter. Yeah. Good call. That's real entitlement. Yeah. Uh, that's textbook entitlement. So so entitlement is um, you know, for example, you have a you have a big piece of you have a big piece of land. It's changing the use, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a single family home and you can suddenly uh, turn it into a a 10-unit apartment building, Uh, that would be very difficult to do in a residential area. It might be impossible to do, but that's entitlement. And there's a lot of value in that because you have an empty piece of land. For example, this company bought this piece of land 10 years ago for $1 million. It has roughly, post-entitlement, a $65 million value. Wow. So there's a lot of money in it. It it can be complicated. It requires a lot of uh, hyper-local knowledge. Uh, It's not it's not really my game, but it's one I'm learning.
0: Sure. Well, and you also have a little bit of experience in the real estate space. Talk about that for a second from a traditional brokerage standpoint.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I moved to Los Angeles. I was doing I was practicing law. I hated that. It was uh, typical trade time for money. Um, It was it was a pain in the butt. It it was uh, interestingly a lot like a single a realtor working on their own you know, you gotta go out. I mean, I'm not talking to Jeff Cohn, you know, I'm talking to somebody else, right? Uh, you know, cause Jeff Cohn's crushed that. Uh, I'm talking to somebody who's like, well, you know here I am in LA now, the housing prices are really high. I gotta go out and try and find one listing and then close that listing and then make 25 grand. Um, you know, practicing law is very similar. You know, I had to run around, find clients. And after I found the clients and Holy mackerel I had to do the work. And then I just send them a bill and half the time they didn't pay the bill. Uh, it was not for me, uh, for sure. So I found the brokerage business literally by going to an open house. But I knew that it was uh, something that I was interested in. Keller Williams had been in LA a little bit. Uh, there was one unsuccessful office in all of Los Angeles. Uh, to make a long story short, I got involved with Keller Williams. I started following uh, with their model, following their model, adding agents, building offices. Until now, uh, Keller Williams has number one market share in. In Los Angeles, and you uh, have the number one office, don't you? Yeah, run Beverly, by Josh. That's right, the Beverly Hills office. Where, by the way, saying that again? his last name, Josh Spitson. Yeah, Josh. Josh is my team leader. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and we now have the number one number one office. Uh, you know, in the state of California. Um, How many offices yeah. do
0: you guys have? Or are, are you? So, you know, part sometimes
1: of I look at locations because you know Keller Williams does it a little differently. So we have just over ten locations we have 2500 uh sorry 3500 agents um who did 11,000 transactions and uh and just under uh just under 11 billion in volume in the last 12 months so it's a big big operation um one of the issues you know and i know that your your broker owners will be interested in this is that is it that, that particular business you know um i always remember Gary Keller and some other people saying, you know, recommending a book who moved your cheese. And because I don't read, you know, I love a book where you just read the title and that's all you got. That's all you need. That's all you need on that. Jeez. Like I get it, dude. Yeah. What that means to me is that you've got your cheese. This is what you're dining off of. Okay. And now somebody moved your cheese. Now, now what are you going to do? Right. So, so this is, you know, this is a changing, transforming business, um, And the broker commissions are getting more and more compressed. So how do you make a living in the brokerage business? Um, So even with all that volume, if I went to somebody else in another industry and said, hey, you know, I do 11 billion in volume, it's not really my volume, right? Those are the home sales. But I'll tell you what, the gross commission income is my company's volume. That's real top line revenue for me. And the amount that you get to the bottom line is
0: very small. Let's talk about this. You're preaching to the choir, right? And our audience knows what my mindset is around this. Um, Based on your experience working in the brokerage world for quite some time now. And if you're a team person right now, or you're an individual agent person, pay attention to this because it's going to impact your industry. If your broker's not making money and you are making money, how are they going to make, how do they generate revenue? The, The answer is if they're not making money, that means you're probably not making money either. Because they're not going to take a loss. They can't stay in business if they take a loss. And so what happens with commission suppression? How does the broker survive? Even right now, the big joke about brokerages is that brokers go broke. So what would you say right now, Paul, if someone were to ask the last 12 to 24 months, even with it being a seller's market, which I don't think is as great for real estate companies as the public wants to think, what would you say the average broker nets off gross commission? I think you shared with me out of these 10 locations, you guys were at $19 Does that sound right? 19 million in gross commission income last year? Oh, in gross commission? Gross income? commissions that came into your office. And then of course you paid out to your agents. A lot of your agents are probably. Capping. No,
1: we're, you know, yeah, we're, we're close. We're, we're, we would be closer to 10 X of that. Oh, what it 200 million. Yeah. What was I was like thinking it well, was a number. Well, if you do it. the math, right. So if you do the, if you do, if you do 10 billion in volume, right. And then you're getting, you know, you're getting uh, 2% or
0: two and a half. So there you go, guys. And that's volume. the answer to the question. Two percent. Well,
1: that's, but that's the, that's the gross commission income. The, the, the question then is, how much of the gross commission income can you bring to company dollar? And that's where you have a problem. And what would you say
0: that is? Uh, you know, and they're that, saying two and people are going, why two? Cause you're in LA. So 4%, 5% paying out 2%. Your average overall you say is around two, two and a half.
1: Yeah. Two, two and a half. You you can get two. You can get uh, two. The standard is is two and a half a side. And then, you know, once you get over a two or three million dollar price point, then then two becomes more standard. But the amount of money that
0: falls down to the bottom line is is uh, dramatically small. Uh, Is it two percent again? Because that's kind of the number I hear floating when people are honest about it. After all expenses, if you looked at net profit, it's not the 15 percent that a lot of businesses operate on in the brokerage business, it's more than two to three. And this is why brokerages have constantly looked at strategic partnerships and or joint ventures in ancillary businesses for a long, long time. A lot of I've heard of a lot of brokers saying that's not legal. And that's only because those brokers already have relationships and they're scared their agents are going to enter into relationships that are non respa non-CFPB compliant. So they just say, oh, it's not legal. And that's their way of telling the agent stop looking into it. But the truth is, it is legal. Obviously, it's legal. It just has to be set set up the right way.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does make sense for, uh, you know, first of all, something I learned a long time ago is that uh, the the more brokers you have, the more realtors you have in your brokerage, the more likely you are to... uh, to have a, to have a, uh, to have a business that, that makes money. So for example, Keller Williams, Beverly Hills, you know, I'm a 50% partner in that. And it, uh, it definitely nets to the owners more than a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Um, now order of magnitude oh, for my 10 locations, if you forgot the million dollars a year that that one makes and you go, well, um, what if they all averaged half of that? I'd be doing a lot better, right?
0: Sure, so I get what you're saying. What, so listen what to this, you guys. We're talking about traditional brokerages. This is not just Keller Williams. This is every traditional brokerage we've looked at, and I've looked at lots of models. The traditional broker does not make more than a half a million. Now there's outliers, but it's two to 300,000 net is what I typically will see just on the real estate commission side. And that's in an environment where the commissions are average or or good. You know, it's an average tuition of 6% to 5%. So what happens with commission suppression? How are those brokers creating multipliers right now in their business? Are they renting office space? This might sound familiar to certain people listening. Are they charging you to use their printer? Are they charging you to drink their coffee? Are they charging you for some coaching that they offer internally in the office? Are they charging you for a parking spot? They're looking for reasons. They're not trying to gouge you. They're just not making money. And the traditional team leader is probably making about 120 to 200 thousand a year, but teams can be much, much more profitable because you're creating those profits on the shoulders of the brokerage who's covering all the overhead expenses, mm. and that's why people have always said teams are more profitable, but they're a lot harder to scale.
1: So, a couple of points on that is that that um, first of all, um, I get a lot of people, even even insiders in the business, that will say well, you know, we want to start our own brokerage, right? <laughs> and I go, okay, look, I'm in the brokerage business. I'm not generally in the real estate sales business. I'm in the brokerage business. It requires such massive scale. This is not just a self-serving issue, okay? So so let's say my nephew lives in Omaha and he's built this nice little team. And he's like, hey, Paul, you know what? Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out on my own and do it on my own. i go, well, geez, why do you want to do that? Oh, well, I want to create enterprise value. I want to create my nephew's Gordon. I want to create Gordon real estate. I want to do all these things or whatever. I'm, You know, I'm selling, maybe he's doing great. I'm selling 75 million in volume. I really <laughs> have plans to go to 150, you know, two and a quarter. Da, 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 da. My advice to Gordon would be uh, stay at a brokerage. Don't open your own brokerage. Build that company inside of that brokerage so that you you have that. Now, get to your $250, $300 million and then let's
0: have another conversation. Pro- By the prove way, you can build inside that ecosystem. That's right? right. So let me share this story. I have a close friend of mine. I won't name the name here, but he ran a health nutrition store. Um, he ran a franchise for a very well-known franchise in the country and he killed it. Like he was in 20 cities doing very well for this particular franchise, learned the business up and down, paid the franchise fees and one day chose to leave. And he was in a position financially where it made perfect sense and he went off and launched his own and he had a three-year exit and he exited and did very well for himself. So what you're sharing is build your empire inside your ecosystem up mm-hmm. into the point where you can tell you're, you might be at diminishing returns and it makes sense to leave that ecosystem. And I guess most people would probably never need to leave it. So I think about, I joke about pizza. It's like someone selling Sam's Pizza or would you go get a Pizza Hut franchise or a Domino's franchise? Why would you try to build Sam's Pizza to 100 cities when you're only operating in one city today? Go to Pizza Hut, go to 20 cities with Pizza Hut and then mm-hmm. eventually jump ship as long as the contract allows you to. Right.
1: That's right. And use, you know, use those systems and models. And, and I, I'd be the first to say that, you know, if I did not have a franchise that was telling me, here's how you do it, you know, here's what to do. um, You know, I it, it, being with a franchise enabled me to sit at a table with. Uh, see, all a franchise needs. First of all, you have to make sure the franchise is solid, and that the systems are solid, and that the and that the that that there's enough benefit to the franchisee, right? And once you figure that out, then you go, okay, well, that would enable me with one year experience to sit down with brokers who have been in the business for thirty years, and they go, you know, what do you know, or whatever, and I and I would say to them, like honestly, I'm not kidding. You all have forgotten more about residential real estate than i currently know i'm aware of that however check out my numbers look at my share look at my market share look how i'm growing so what a what a franchise needs is great operators right and what great operators need is a is a model and a system to follow right and and that's probably you know jeff you would know better than I but that's probably what a what great
0: realtors need too so say hey, you know, yep Every here's the challenge. There's so much messaging. And this is where our podcast, why our podcast ranks in the top 10 real estate podcasts in the country. We're the only one focused on teams. You talk mm-hmm. about modeling. Every other person I know that talks on podcasts teaches people how to be a real estate agent, teaches people I mean, what that means is teaches people how to run on a hamster wheel. Teaches people how to work that job you talked about hating when you became an attorney. And you recognize it wasn't as glamorous as they told you it was going to be in your Ivy League school. And the challenge is, is, to become a person that is an authority that gets to lead others is you have to prove a model. And to prove a model, you have to work the job. And I worked the job for six years. I was an agent full time. I did 50 deals a year. I did very well for myself as an agent. Then I was a team leader for five years. I did very well for myself. And I stopped selling as a team leader because true leaders serve their followers by empowering them to become just like them. And then I stopped being a team and we launched a brokerage. And now here we are scaling the brokerage. We want to be in 100 cities over the next five years, building a model that saves the traditional broker by partnering in services like mortgage title insurance to hedge against the commission suppression that I believe is coming and to save the traditional brokerage, which saves the traditional agent role because today agents are compensated on commission dollars. And I believe in the future, they will be compensated on a salary that comes from the ancillary, not from the brokerage. Mm -hmm.
1: It's an interesting point of view. And, um, you know, it does get to the point where there is more money in the ancillary services than there is in the brokerage. And so what happens is where you see these big multipliers, and I think they're going to go away uh, pretty soon. But where you see these big multipliers, where brokerages are selling for big dollars, is they're they're really selling for for the network. Um, they're not selling for they're not looking at, uh, they're not looking at I forget which you know the name of the company that that sold to I knew I knew a couple that a couple of big firms that sold to Compass for a lot of money, and Compass wasn't looking at hey what's the bottom line that we're going to add to it they're looking to to expand that whole network
0: yeah I've heard 15x I've heard 20x so you look at what businesses benefit the most by being inside the network and another word for the network is the data. And if you control the data, the brand or the person who has relationships to that data, you can sell the data anything. You can sell them Pizza Hut pizza. You can sell them AT, what is it called? ADT uh, security systems. You can sell them Dish Network. You can sell them, the list goes on and on and on. But you have to put them in an ecosystem where they can be sold and create communication channels that allow for the point of sale to take place. And that's what I think they're buying is access to that point of sale and the connection to the person who's created a relationship of trust, the authority if you will.
1: Right. And the, 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 you know, and, and that's where I do think that you want to stay in your own lane, uh, and do what you do best. Um, so Jeff, it's not just to, to, to pander to you and, uh, you know, cause we're friends and we're on your podcast, but, you know, uh, finding someone that can help you leverage into these other areas is a very smart way to do it. Um, you know, and, and you know, I've, I certainly have made the mistake of trying to do it all myself, um, you know, when you can get into business with somebody that can lead you in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I won't, you know, don't even mention the name, but I, but, you know, as an experiment, um, you know, I bought a, a sort of a marquee brand uh, that was dying out in L.A., um, you know, Um, and I put an operator that I thought was a good operator in charge of that asset. Uh, it did not do well. I had a conversation with Jeff years ago and he's like, dude, let me come in there. I'll, you know, I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. We'll split it 50-50. I'm like, huh, why am I splitting it 50-50 with Jeff? And I'll never forget, like, you know, when we would talk, you wouldn't hit me every time. But, you know, once a year you'd be like, so how's that thing going? I'd be like, dude, it's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> um, so you know, getting into business with somebody that knows—that's back to the one of the first things that I said, which is just a general advice, which is stay in your gift zone, um, yeah. oh, and yeah. and find the operators that can help you. I do think that um, you know one of the waves of the future would be. So there's a law. There's a law called RESPA, which stands in the way of realtors uh, making money on some of the some of the most. Um, some of the most uh, 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 profitable pieces of the business. And you know that would be like mortgage title, uh, escrow, insurance,
0: depending on where, what part of the country they, you're yeah. in. They have to have ownership to be able to make money off of it. And you yeah, have to right. disclose on an affiliate business or Yes,
1: yeah, Which is fine, but then you have to have, but then you really have to have, uh, again, now you're back to having a model that works. Yep. we're one of the few title we're one of the few brokers that own a title company in California lots of other brokers own them elsewhere but the the barrier of entry is so high which is yep. good
0: if you can get there so right? let, let me let me share something really quick paul on the heels of this comment because i've been thinking a lot about the realtor and there's today probably 3 million realtors a couple of years ago it was just 2 million so let's yes. call it 3 million in a seller's market 2 million in a neutral and probably 1.5 million in a buyer's market Everyone's in the business and having success and bragging on stage and posting on social because it's easy. You put a house on the market and it sells and then you act like you sold it. You didn't sell anything. The market sold the house. The only thing a realtor, and I'll argue also the brokerage sells, is the value it adds. So an agent sells themself. The house sells itself, if that makes sense. So it's the relationship business, your customer service, ultimately. And I keep thinking about the realtor and the value that the real estate agent brings to the transaction. And I think about Respa. And then I started thinking about the role. So what does an agent, if they were just getting paid a salary, would they even have to be a realtor? Could you just be a consultant then nothing to do with the real estate transaction? And in that consulting, you're more of like an advisor, but you're not a financial advisor, just a consultant that they hire and they pay a salary to, or a third-party ancillary company hires you as a consultant for people in the database, not a real estate agent. And you lead them down a path that allows them to represent themselves in the sale. And you can have internees evolve if you want. So it's essentially like they do a for sale by owner. And they would use your platform that you create as a broker, but this wouldn't be a realtor role. And inside of this paid role, they would help show the consumer all their options when it comes to ancillary businesses, mortgage, shadow insurance, cable, security, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now they can get directly compensated because they're not selling and they're not an agent. Respa only governs realtors. If you're not a real estate agent and you're working as a consultant for an ancillary business, then you're not constricted to RESPA guidelines. Mm-hmm. So it's a role I've been thinking more and more about the agent, the agents that choose to stay in the real estate business and want to work in the customer service, which agents say they love working with their clients. They love looking at houses. Well, who's going to love it for $45,000 a year? And the, the answer is there's a lot of people. If I said right now, I'll pay you 45000 a year in Omaha, Nebraska, I, I'd get 100 applications today to make a guaranteed forty five grand a year. The average agent nationally makes like $18,000 a year. Wow. So I'm not looking when you think like best agent in the world, to me, that's not the person on the stage with a trophy because that agent actually sucks. Most often that agent doesn't answer their phone. They're too busy. They're too cocky. They're holding their little dog and they care more about themselves than their clients. It's the agent that's grinding out that just got into the business that's willing to put in 80 hours a week and truly serve their client that I want to hire for $45,000 a year and require that they don't work more than 40 hours. And I'm going to hire someone for 40 hours from the eight to five in the morning. And then I'm going to hire someone from six to midnight at night. So every time someone's awake is going to be covered by a salaried position. Mm -hmm. And now you think about lawyers and doctors and attorneys and you start thinking about professionals and how they're compensated and what roles they play inside the world, their world. And it starts to get really interesting. So I think we'll see a lot of changes. And the the great part about ancillary business when you talk about it is if I'm dead wrong and someone wants to shove one of these podcast episodes in my face in five years from now, and they say, Jeff, you're wrong. The commission actually went up 1%. And I went and added a mortgage company, a title company, an insurance company, I did all the things you said, and I'm making 10X what I would have made had I not done all those things. So there's no negative. I still don't know any negative of saying, hey, I want to create more multipliers in my business. What well, bad can come of it. If you don't set them up legally, bad can come. If you get in business with the wrong people, bad can come to your point of staying in your lane. Mm-hmm. But I don't see anything wrong if you do it all the right way. So we will have a solution that we're going to announce publicly. It hasn't been announced. We've been whispering a lot. Uh, we will have a way the traditional broker can partner with us to receive seven different multipliers. And three of those include mortgage, title, and insurance mm-hmm. uh, by us entering into joint ventures with them. The minimum requirement will be 500 buy sides a year to get into business with us. That's where economies of scale start. Um, juice isn't worth the squeeze under the 500 mark. So if you're a team listening or a brokerage listening, you hit 500 buy sides or more. That doesn't mean we're going to close 500. That just makes the numbers make sense. We believe that by partnering with us, you'll see a 7X on your current net. Your agents in the beginning will work a hybrid model. So agents will continue collecting the commission while the commission exists in the world. The commission will go away eventually. What's What happened to Blockbuster, I know that's the cliche, will happen in the real estate industry. It already is. And you'll start to see see it slowly happening. You'll see the listing commission be a flat fee of like $5,000. And then the payout is still the normal 2.4 or 3%. But eventually it'll be no listing fee but you'll require the consumer legally to use the ancillary businesses to get the discounted commission rate. So this is what big tech is doing. Zillow's making mortgage title insurance services available to the consumer. The difference between us and uh, Zillow is that we're going to do joint ventures. So we want to partner with, just like Compass would buy people at a 15 or 20X, Compass would own you. We want to just partner with you and give you all the multipliers provide those multipliers to you for access to your database. And then we will build the mortgage title and insurance arms all out of our hub in Omaha, Nebraska. You don't even need to have a physical office for any of the personnel. We can do it all virtual, similar to like Rocket Mortgage. So that's what I'm sending my next five years on. And I believe it will save the traditional broker and it's going to save the traditional real estate agent.
1: Yeah, I love it. One of the things, you know, we talked about it a little bit before, and I know we also uh, we also want to uh, uh, go is... Uh, another untapped area and Jeff I know you're doing it yourself too is um you know creating some sort of a platform where the realtors can have access to benefit from all the deals that they see in terms of real estate ownership so one of the things you didn't mention was I wrote a book called Wealth Can't Wait it was a New York Times bestseller uh it's been out for a few years now for sure but one of the reasons why I went down that path is there's a there's you know there's I was to say a million there's there are hundreds of people that could teach a listing presentation as well or better than me. Um, there are hundreds of people that could teach other aspects of selling real estate as good or better than me. Uh, but what I what I found was that no one was teaching people how to build wealth. And realtors have you know amazing access to deals that they don't understand. So how do you do? How do you evaluate a deal to to buy it for yourself? What happens if the if you don't have the money? right, to buy the deal yourself? Do you think that every real estate investor that you're, that all the people listening to this, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got a great business, by the way, if you represent investors. Everybody wants a business where they represent investors. And I'm I'm such an entrepreneur, I'm always like, you know, like if you're representing investors, that means that you're so good that investors are taking your advice and your property picks and they're making a ton of money on it and then they're going to come back to you again right um you definitely should be uh benefiting from those and i think a little bit more expertise and you know people are risk averse and they're scared too you know you you sell a house you know over oh, yep. you your commission check over um so you know jeff's a king of systems and models and you know has down to a science how he's determining which homes he wants to buy and building his portfolio that would be a great that would, Jeff, that would be a great episode for you and I to sort of bounce 100%. back and forth on. You know, well, how, Paul, how do we yeah. do it?
0: Paul's an expert at syndications. And I believe your book covers syndications, or you have another one coming out, mm. all focused on syndications. But that was right. the type of law that you practice. Um, a syndication, for anyone that doesn't know, is where anyone finds a property but doesn't have enough capital or doesn't want to use their own capital. So they go out and let's say they invite five other people into a transaction for putting that group together, you can have ownership without having to put money in. Typically, the person that puts it all together is the syndicator, puts their own skin in the game as well. But then there's the sweat equity play where you get to take a little bit more for putting it all together. But lots of ways to win on that. And that is in a whole nother episode that we can go down later. Sure. But I think the point you were hinting to is part of our seven multipliers, one of them is investing. So our intent is every office we partner with, we want to build... It could be it could be a REIT. We haven't decided how to structure it yet, but we want to have a fund where the agents in that location are allowed to take a percentage of their commission or whatever amount of money and buy into the fund. And the mm-hmm. idea is that that fund will own real estate in that area based on the superpower of that office. So if they have industrial space or multi or storage or land or single family or du- you know duplexes or re- retirement villas or whatever it is, we... You know, out of Omaha, we want to partner with them as well in investing in those areas. And we want to give all the agents and all the leadership and all the admin staff the ability to invest in real estate without having to spend $100,000 or any time. You could put in $5 and own a little piece of a holding company in that location. Mm -hmm. And then we also want to build a national investment arm for real estate agents. Because so often agents want to do it. They say they want to do it, but they don't want to put in all the work and time and energy it takes to get your first one under contract and get your first one funded. So we think it'd be really unique to have a fund for that. And we're working through that as well. So we want to create hyper-local funds with our strategic partners, as well as like a national conglomerate fund. Mm-hmm. And you could be in both or one or the other. I love it. Hey,
1: one, hey. Of, the things, uh, yep. one of the things I was going to do was I I had my KW Elite t-shirt on, but uh, you know I've dressed usually very casual, but I have, uh, I have a couple of business meetings that I had to dress up on. So, you know, I apologize for uh for not having my kids. Oh, you got my mug. That's uh, awesome. I love it. Woo! I, it out, man. It go. I, I don't have t-shirt on until I when did I give mug, you like... that?
0: That's a very nice gift. Is that a Yeti brand? That is Yeti Was brand. that laser cut? Is that like the original laser cut KWE logo? That is a good looking wow. mug right there. Yeah. Those are unique. Those are OG. I think there were only a hundred made yes. yes. Yeti. Thank- Thank you to my friend, Brian Kraft, who hooked that up. He owns Midwest Land Group. They're doing very well. Uh, Mr. Paul Morris, how does someone get in touch with you if they want to give you a shout out, if they want to be in your world, if they have a question, what's sure. the best place to send them? So uh,
1: so my Instagram is at Paul Mark, M-A-R-K Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S. Um, You know, I'm doing more and more on Instagram in terms of putting tidbits out. I just did a syndication meeting yesterday. I will start putting pieces of that out as well. You could certainly DM me there. Uh, Also, my my email address is easy as Paul at forward one. So it's just uh, spelled out word with the number one forward one dot com. And uh, looking forward to anybody that's in your network that has questions you know, bring it on. Jeff is, uh, if you're listening, as you already know, uh, Jeff is, Jeff's a very unique, uh, guy in the real estate space and knows, you know, knows his numbers like nobody's business and really super high level operator. So, uh, happy to, uh, you know, be friends with you, bounce ideas off of, and looking forward to what we can do together.
0: Thank you, Paul. I, I really appreciate that. And of course, we have a great relationship. I thank you for everything you've done to support us and our growth. And you're a mentor in my world. Definitely a thought leader and have done a lot of amazing things. So we would love to get you back on. I think this is your second time. So we'll we'll do the full three times. Uh, we'll get our turkey using a really nerdy bowling reference. And we'll get our turkey here and have you back on for a third. I do want to invite everyone that's made it this far in the podcast. Thank you for being here still. And I want to invite you our upcoming team building workshop. We host a workshop in Omaha several times a year. And our next workshop is going to be at the end of March, 2022. So if you haven't booked that, you can go out to growwithers.com to find out all future dates, all future events. We also have our team building summit, which is our big event we do every year for people focused on teams and investing and scaling. Um, We're going to have all of our ancillary businesses there as well, mortgage, title, insurance, and it's going to be everything and anything under the sun, real estate. It's going to be huge in downtown Omaha. Um, it's something you don't want to miss out. It's on June first, second, and third, 2022. You can find out more information about that as well at GrowWithERS.com or the specific website built for the Team Building Summit is theTeamBuildingSummit.com. Mr. Paul Morris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, you did a man. great job today. Lots more we can talk about next time. So I look forward to having yeah, you back. Yeah, let's do let's do one right on syndication. That, that's the plan. That's going to be the next one up. Thanks again. All right, brother. Thank you. <laughs>